Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll stand together and read a verse of scripture. Have the microphone ready if I get the cough and I just have prayer or we'll have prayer meeting. Let each some individual just pray. Nothing worse than trying to talk and cough, cough your head up. God bless you. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Everybody there, let's stand together please for the reading of the word of God. We've read this verse several times in the last few weeks. And uh, it's a command from God Almighty about the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, chapter 5. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That last phrase says, but be filled with the Spirit. That last phrase says, and the last phrase said, it says, be filled with the Spirit. And all of us has that command given to us by God through the Apostle Paul. And I want to talk more about that tonight, the Lord willing. Father, clear our minds and clear our throat that we be able to say what needs to be said tonight. Thank you for the good song Paul just sung. Thank you for the unseen hand that's always guiding. Lord, sometimes we don't see the way. We're glad that you always know the way. Sometimes, Lord, we may get distracted or even detoured along the way. But you know exactly where the main road is. You said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh the Father but by me. So, Father, I pray that you'll help us always to keep our focus and our eyes on thee, and we'll praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me make just a couple of announcements about the upcoming weekend, so if you'll follow along with me. Brother Benny, I've been calling him Benny Goodman. <laughs> Minnie Beckman's going to be with us the Lord willing Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And uh, when we talk about a revival of prayer, we're talking about the emphasis on prayer, but just some good preaching practicality on helping us to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to talk to the Heavenly Father. And he'll say that several times through the conference. If you've been here before, have you talked to the Heavenly Father today? And we could ask that question tonight. And if we have not, why have we? Why have not we talked to the Heavenly Father? He wants us to talk to Him every day. And uh, we need that. We need it more than He needs it, but he, he wants us to do it. He enjoys the fellowship with us, but He also knows it's good for us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll be here Saturday night uh, with us for a prayer meeting. We have a prayer meeting at 7 o'clock. I hope all you men can come and join us. Just spend some time praying together as men on the, on the altar, getting ready for the revival through Wednesday night, and also Saturday night visitation, or Saturday morning visitation. All of our men that's able to go uh, will leave here about 10 o'clock, the Lord willing, this coming Saturday. All right, and all God's people said, let's review for just a minute. I won't not take long doing this, but we're talking about a command given by God, and I've been talking about resident or president. Is he the resident in your life or the president? Is he there in a position of just abiding or does he control our lives? You know, the word filled simply implies with us that it needs to be continually filled. He needs to be continually recognized in our life as the Lord of glory, the power of glory, the source of glory, and all that we need to live the Christian life. And so it's a command given to us by the Word of God. I ask number one, what is the relationship of the Holy Spirit to every believer? Question number one, what is the relationship of the Holy Spirit to every believer. Number one, every believer is born of the Spirit. If you're born once, you'll die twice. 
If you're born twice, you'll die once. Nothing better than that in all the world to know you've got to be born again. John chapter 3, it's two times. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. So what's the relationship with the Holy Spirit? To every believer, the Holy Spirit's got to birth us into the family of God. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But the Holy Spirit is the one who woos us, the one who works on us, the one who stirs us, the one who convicts us, the one who causes us to realize our need of Christ. And I'm grateful that it does. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And there's that washing of regeneration. Number two, not only what is the relationship of the Holy Spirit to every believer, we're born of the Holy Spirit. Number two, every believer is assured by the Holy Spirit. We talked about this a little bit last week, I think, Romans eight sixteen, And the Bible tells us that he is the witness. His witness bears with their spirit. His witness bears with us. It does. His witness bears with our spirit. Isn't that tough? His witness bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I'm glad he doesn't. I can't get on the outside, but I know it's on the inside, okay? That's what matters. And I'm glad for the witness that he gives to us. He comes to dwell on the inside so we can have the witness in our life that we've been saved with the grace of God. How do you know you're saved? Well, one of the ways, his spirit bears with our spirit that we're children of God. And it can't happen unless you have the Holy Ghost. And so he's a witness to us, and we're a witness back to him. The Bible says every believer is sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Let's read those verses together if you're there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. In whom we also trusted after that they heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that you believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. That means we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We've been stamped. We've been given the down payment. We've been given the blessed assurance that Jesus is ours. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And so we've been sealed, legal mark of ownership. That's what that simply means, we've been sealed. Sometimes you have a contract. Uh, they have it notarized. They have it stamped. And it makes an official document and recognized in the legalities of the world. And the Lord does the same thing. The Holy Ghost of God comes to dwell on the inside to guarantee us that this inheritance we have is going to be genuine and real. And we're going to receive all that God has said we're going to receive. We are complete in Christ. And so he says, to the praise of his glory, you've been sealed unto the day of redemption. When our bodies shall be redeemed and everything's over and we're in the presence of the Lord, we are a special possession of God. Now, God don't show favorites, I don't guess. Uh, sometimes you read the Bible and you, you feel like maybe he showed favor to John. John was the beloved disciple. And uh, he may have showed favoritism to some of the other disciples. It may seem like it. Or somebody in the ministry that he made contact with while he's here on this earth. But all of us are special to the Lord. Every, every child that God has is special. And I'm grateful for that. And we are a special possession of God. He loves us. He loved us back when there was no time, before any time was. He loved us from the foundation of the world. And I'm grateful to God for that. 
So he gives us this guarantee or the earnest or the down payment that we are going to be able uh, to be in heaven forever, enjoy the inheritance, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God cannot lie. He never has lied. He will not lie. He promised I could have eternal life, and he promised you you can have eternal life, and all of God's people say, Amen. which is the earnest, there's the down payment, there's the promise given to us, sealed until the day of redemption and to the praise of his glory. So every believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit of God. It's sort of like an engagement ring, if you, you illustration today. Uh, I've been wearing this engagement ring or this wedding band since I got married in uh, 1968, June the 28th. And uh, I've, I've taken it off a few times to wash my hand or something. It's amazing it still comes off. Anybody here got a wedding ring that you can't get off? Now, some folks, it just sort of swells in time and they can't get the ring off. Anybody? How many can take the rings off? How many don't want to take the ring off? It reminds you that you're married. Always good to know that you belong to somebody and we belong to God. How do I know I belong to God? The Holy Spirit has promised in His Word through the power of the Holy Spirit to my life on the inside that I have a guarantee that we're going to make us all the way to the end. Now, I don't know how it's going to be in heaven about the marriage relationship. You know, neither given marriage or, you know, was going to be like the angels. I'm not sure if he has been married five or six times. Whose wife is he going to be in the judgment day? That'd be a tough one. Somebody says, who is going to be if, if she gets married five times and all five are saved and all go to heaven? Who's, who's, will, she be, who's will he be in the judgment day? I don't have a clue. But God can handle those situations however it's going to be. And I'm sure there's a lot of answers and the questions posed about what we're going to be like when we get to heaven. Are we going to have all of our little kids around us? Or are they all going to be grown? Uh, are there going to be uh, relationships living in a cabin or living in a mansion with just my mate and nobody else? How's it going to be? I'm glad God solves all those problems. And when we get to heaven, we'll find out. You say, well, I'd like to know now. Well, if you don't know now, wait to get to heaven. You'll know. What you need to know and what I need to know, he'll reveal to us the secret things of the Lord that sometimes we try to figure out and maybe lose our mind thinking about it, trying to digest what God's got in store. Number four, every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're born by the Holy Spirit. We're assured by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, know ye not that ye are the temple Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? 1 Corinthians 3.16 Romans 8.9 But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. It is so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of, none of his. So he dwells on the inside of us. We've talked about that. He come to be the resident. He come to live at your house. He come to live at my house. And he dwells on the inside of our bodies. Our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost of God. So, now, with that in mind, question number two, what does the filling of the Holy Spirit mean? I've alluded to that, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. But a child of God opens up his house, his temple, opens up every room to the Holy Spirit. That's where I want to dwell for just a few moments, the Lord willing.
The child of God has opened up every room in the house to the Spirit. Make yourself at home, O Holy Spirit. Now, when we say that, do we mean it? If we prayed it after we got saved, Holy Spirit, make yourself at home in my house or in the temple of God, the body. Make yourself at home. I want you to abide there, and I want you to be welcome in every room of the house. Do you really mean that? Do I really mean that? Or is that just sort of wishful thinking? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I can't explain this with a complete understanding, but when the Holy Ghost of God comes to live on the inside, God's everywhere at the same time. The Holy Spirit abides in your life. He abides in my life. He abides at your house. He abides in my house. He does it all at the same time. But the Holy Ghost of God dwells in my body. It goes down to the inner man. The Holy Ghost of God. I have the flesh, and now I have the, this body becomes the temple of God when the Holy Ghost comes to dwell on the inside. And when the Holy Ghost comes to dwell on the inside, He comes to make Himself at home in every room that you have. It is though you say to Him, make yourself completely at home. I was using that illustration, I think, last week. What's it mean to make yourself at home? We give admission to Him to come and dwell in every facet of our life, and we give Him permission to be in every part of our life. And you're compartmentalized, so am I. I've different areas of my life, and you have different areas of your life. For instance, I give Him the key to my study room. If you come to my house over at 490 Mayberry Lane, Nancy and I lived there for the last several years, I have a study. I have an I do radio taping there. I do most of my Bible study there. And uh, I have all my books around me and so forth. Is he welcome in my study room? I want to say yes. If that be true, nothing's off limits to him. Is there any kind of book or magazine there that I have that I shouldn't have? Is there something there that would not be good? I don't read a lot of fiction. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't read a lot of fiction. If you come and you look at my library, you'll find sermon books, commentaries, biographies, autobiographies. Uh, Three-fourths of my library is made up of sermon books, uh, great preachers and their sermons, uh, make up of biographies and autobiographies and commentaries. And so I have them close to me. I have to keep two real close to me all the time. Uh, you may have commentary sets that you enjoy using, but uh, J. Vernon McGee, you ever heard of him? Amen. Been on radio. I guess he's still on radio, isn't he? Yeah. Through the Bible, J. Vernon McGee. Well, I have his whole set of commentaries, and he's probably been as helped to me as much as anybody in just sort of understanding a little better a passage of Scripture. So to my right-hand side of my desk is J. Vernon McGee, and I've used him over and over again. Right beside of J. Vernon McGee is Warren Wiersbe, and I have the volumes of Warren Wiersbe's sermons, all of them, his commentaries, and I've read them over and over again through the years. Those are helpful. So they're there, and then I have other religious books, they may be called fiction, but they're writers who wrote something like they may write about a certain subject. I have probably thousands of books just written by somebody else about a subject. They may talk about prayer. I have many, many Beckham's books in my library. Uh, when I take him out to the house, I say, I'll bring him out. I usually keep these here, but I'm going to bring these out so you can see them. Uh, but Brother Benny's written several good books. I have those on my library. 
and I go on and on with the books I have. I don't know what you have, but be careful what you have in your study room. What you study the most about is what you will become. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't study other things besides the Bible and commentaries and so forth. There's a lot of things you can study. I like to study other subjects. Uh, I'm doing a little study right now. I told the secretary uh, to make me uh, pull something off the Internet of all the things that people say that it causes you bad luck. Now, we don't live by luck, right? So I'm having her to go to the, common, the, the Internet and give me everything that says it's bad luck for you. It's bad luck to walk under a ladder. Ever heard that? It's bad luck to have a black cat or see a black cat or something. It's bad luck. What's some other things that's bad luck for you? Step on crack. What? Step on a crack. One more time. Step on a crack. Ste oh, step on a crack. Yeah, that's right. I heard the step on. I didn't see the crack. Okay. Step on a crack. Anything else? Well, how many of you carry a four-leaf four clover in your pocket? How many got a rabbit's foot? And the how many ever rubbed somebody's hair? It's orange. You ever did that? That brings you good luck if you rub their head if they got orange hair or blonde hair, I guess it is, whatever color hair it is. But I told her I want to have everything that they say brings you good luck because we don't live by luck. We live by the providence of promises of God. So because of that, it makes a difference in our life. Ever said, boy, I sure have been lucky. No, you haven't. There's no such thing in the vocabulary of a Christian of luck. It goes beyond that. God is protecting us. God is providing for us. God has promised. And we've said this hundreds of times. You probably said it yourself. We don't live by uh, explanations. I don't have to explain everything. We live by the promises of God. If God said it, that settles it. I don't have to debate with God. I may think sometimes I need to get a little clearer understanding of this or that. Well, I've got the Holy Spirit as the greatest teacher of the world. I will teach you all things. The Holy Ghost of God is in us. Jesus said He will come and He will teach you all things. Boy, if you didn't have a commentary nor a book, any other book, the Holy Spirit still can teach you the Bible. And we need to let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us in many times of our lives. Somebody says, why do you use commentary? It's not like listening to a sermon. It's like listening to somebody teach a lesson. You're listening to some other thoughts that sort of stir your mind and give you a little clarity on You ever got bogged down on the Scripture and tried to figure out what it was trying to say? And somebody's just preaching along and all of a sudden just clicks. Or somebody's teaching a lesson and it sort of comes together. Or you're just reading along one day and all of a sudden a passage that you couldn't figure out at all sort of caused you trouble and sort of, what's that mean? All of a sudden the light just comes on. He will illuminate our minds. The Bible is inspired by God's Holy Spirit. As I said Sunday morning, He moved along with the men who wrote the Bible as they wrote, I believe they wrote exactly like God wanted it written, and the Spirit of God moved upon holy men of God, and as they wrote the Bible, they were directed by the the breath of God. Every time God would breathe, they would write down what God wanted written, whether they understood or not. But we don't have the inspiration of the Bible anymore. We have That's completed. Oh, our Bible is complete, uh, and the inspiration God breathed book, but we have illumination to where the Holy Spirit of God can help us turn on the light sometime. In the inspiration of the Bible, there's a lot of illumination where God just illumines our Open their eyes that they may what? See. Oh, open their eyes that they may see. And God wants us to see. 
And sometimes we get frustrated and aggravated because we don't see. I don't worry so much about what I don't understand. I really am concerned about what I do understand. And I know enough that I do understand. There's some things I need to be sure I'm doing, not to get to heaven, but to please my God and please my Father. And so I want to try to please Him. And yet there are some things that just don't seem to come to light. But all of a sudden, sort of like Elisha's prayer, open their eyes that they may see. Open my servant's eyes that they may see. Open my eyes, open their eyes that they may see what I want them to see. And there's times that God just sort of not gives you a new revelation. He gives you a new illumination. Opens up your eyes so you can see it a little better. So the study room, number two. Now you're given the key to the study room. He's got that key, right? So nothing goes on in the study room that ought not to go on. Why? Because he's got the key and he's the master. He got the master key. He can come in anytime he wants to and evaluate where you're at and what you're reading. Be careful what you read. We talk about be careful what you see, be careful what you hear, be careful what you, be careful what you read. As a matter of fact, I think it was, uh, I was trying to think of the man's name, he came to me just a minute. He said, you are a composite of things you read and people you know. Of things you read and people you know. What do you read? What do you read the most of? Now, there's other things I said a while ago you can read that's not sinful, but if you find yourself reading the daily newspaper more than you do the Bible, do you see a problem there? Or is that just maybe just out there in the field somewhere? Uh, I, I used to read about two or three newspapers a day, and they kept going from a quarter to 50 cents to a dollar to 25. I quit when they got a dollar and a half, especially short observer. And then I found out you can read most things on the Internet, and most things you don't need to know anyhow. And somebody going to summarize it for you or let you know what's going on in the world. But there's some good things to read besides the Bible. A lot of good books. Matter of fact, I recommend highly a lot of books. Uh, in December, every book we've got in the library, in the bookstore, every book is half price. We're going to try to move all of them. You say, well, I don't need them. Somebody else may need them. It's always good. One of the best gifts you can give somebody is a book. Uh, to read, to read, and uh, or to buy a book for them and share with them what you've just learned from that study book, and that gives you some illumination. Number two, the key to the storage room. What do you store in your heart? Out of the heart proceed the issues of life. Out of the heart the mouth speaketh. Hundreds of times I've said it. I've heard it said a hundred times. What's in the well? comes up in the bucket. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So does the Holy Spirit have the key to your storage room? As you turn the master key over to him, what do you store in your heart? Oh, preacher, what can you store in your heart? What, what can be there? Well, it talks about bitterness. You ever, you ever get along with God and praying and you got bitterness in your heart? Bitterness is something that can eat away. There's not a person here who does not not affected by that some way or another. I believe it's the greatest sin in the New Testament in the, in the early church, in the church today. I think bitterness is one of the number one sins that people have in their life. See, it's hard to be filled when you've got something else that partially fills you. It's hard to be controlled by the Holy Spirit when you're filled with bitterness. And really the person who's bitter at somebody else may suffer more than the person that they're bitter about. The other person may not even know it. Sometimes may be bitter at somebody. And the Bible talks about tearing it out by the root. Just The fruit's still going to be bad if you don't tear it out by the root. That means to get rid of it. 
They'll be bitter toward anybody. Try to be as kind and benevolent to people as you can. I know it's not possible to live peaceably with all men. It's impossible. Some folks won't let you. But I don't want to go through life bitter at somebody. And I made this decision many, many years ago. I try, I've tried over these years to help the Lord not to ever be bitter to anybody, no matter what they say or what they do. And some of the things they say is probably right and you know, probably helps me along the way if I listen to somebody else from time to time. But bitterness just eats away at you. Just, oh, it's irritating. And it can cause great problems in your life. Well, preacher, it happened to me when I was a young kid. Well, the best thing to do is better go to God and get over it. Because it'll, it'll, it'll dog you all your, all your, all your days. R.G. Lee, uh, not R.G. Lee, Robert E. Lee. R.G. Lee was a great pastor. He was named after R. Robert E. Lee, R.G. Lee, preacher. But R. R. Robert, Robert E. Lee, he was, you know, the general in the Confederacy. Y'all know that? And was, how many Yankees we got? John, God bless you. You're outnumbered, buddy. Better get your gun ready. The South is going to rise again, okay? So if you're knowing you know who Robert E. Lee is, uh, he come back to the South after they signed the proclamation of the war being over and the Civil War was ending. And he was a great Christian gentleman. He got several biographies, or not autobiographies of Robert E. Lee. Talks about his leadership abilities. There's about 30 things he lived his life by. He was a known Christian. He believed the Bible was the Word of God, and that's always encouraging. But he was visiting around some of the people in the South, and this one lady, she was all distraught. She said, she said, Mr. Lee, let me show you something. Took him in the backyard. See that tree? That was the most beautiful tree in all the world to me. And the Yankees had destroyed it. I mean, they just shot to pieces, and it's dirty, looks bad, and it's just terrible what they've done to this tree. What do you recommend that I do? And he said, cut it down. Cut it down. At one time it was beautiful to you, just cut it down. She said, well, it'd be tough to cut it down. He says, why? Be miserable all your life looking at the tree. Just cut it down, get it out of your life. Because it'll probably bug you the rest of your life. Jealousy. Boy, that's a green-eyed monster, they call that. Jealousy of somebody, jealous of somebody else. Did you know there's people who can do things better than you can do? Do you know there's people who are smarter than you are? Do you know there's people who have more abilities than you have? Don't spend yourself being jealous. God's given you some abilities too. I believe everybody has abilities. I believe every Christian has at least one gift. God gives severally as He will by the Holy Spirit. I believe everybody has at least one gift that they can use. And some folks uh, are amazing to me how they can use their gift. Where I, I illustrate. Somebody, some people have the, the gift when they go into a home and tragedy has come, has come to that home, they know exactly what to say. Now, some of the rest of us, we go in, we do the best we can. We console, we may have prayer, we're there if we can be of help to you. But I've watched enough people, there's some folks who know exactly what to say and how to say it. And it's not natural. It's supernatural. They have the very words that need to be said to that person at that time. I believe there's people who have the gift to that. I believe there's people who have the gift to fix certain foods right. I believe there's people who have the gift to fix fried chicken the way it ought to be fixed. And that's not in the Bible, but I don't think it would hurt to say it could be in the Bible. I think God gives special abilities to people in their life to be a help and a blessing. The greatest gift were gifts listed in the Bible to me. There's, it could be 19. One book I've got got 19. One's got 7. One's got 13. And they list all the different 
gifts of the Spirit. I, I, God can have as many gifts as He wants to. I, I quit trying to number them. But the fact is, the little gift that's just, just a few letters is called the gift of helps. You ever read it? And then all them list of all them other gifts in there. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 through there. And Romans, or Ephesians chapter 4. He talks about the gift of helps. How many people have been a help to somebody else along life's journey? Were it not for them, they might have went down. But that person was there to help them and encourage them and be a blessing. So I'm simply saying God wants to use all of us. And don't ever think that you're not as smart as somebody else or you, got, you don't have as much a gift as somebody. You've got as much a gift as God wants you to have. And nothing wrong sometimes doing some things that you're not gifted to do because it just needs to be done. And you make yourself available to God. And the greatest ability in the world is availability. And then be dependable. Have dependability because one day you'll have accountability. So there's the storage room. Uh, revenge, getting back at somebody. That's an anger problem. And sometimes it's, I'll get you if it's the last thing I do. Well, that's a good way to live. And every time you see them, you don't like them. And the more you see them, the bigger they get in your eyes. You just you despise them. Yet the Bible tells us to be careful about being filled with revenge, being filled with, be filled rather with peace and love and joy and long-suffering. They're called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits, but the fruit, singular. We are to have all the fruit of the Spirit, and there are nine of them in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, and so forth. And those nine qualities, which are nothing more, nothing less than Jesus Christ Himself, the same way with 1 Corinthians 13, which is the great chapter on love, it is a personification in written form of the Lord Jesus Christ. And charity never faileth. Jesus never fails. And He gives us jealousy. He says, he says charity is kind. Love is kind. So is Jesus. He's always kind. Well, what's that mean to me? I'm supposed to be kind. I'm supposed to be as kind and tender as I possibly can be. I don't think the Lord was a mean guy. I think he'd get angry at the right thing. I don't think he was somebody you would despise to be around. I think people gravitated toward him, especially little children. You can judge a lot of things but how what happens when a child gravitates toward an adult. There's something that sort of makes a rapport there. And a little kid sat on Jesus' lap. He said, it suffered all children coming to me for such is the kingdom of heaven. And so it was that he had children gravitate toward him. I think his disciples loved him because the Bible says he loved them to the very end. I mean, he even loved Judas to the very end. He knew exactly what he was going to do. The Bible says at the Last Supper, he loved his disciples to the end before he went to the cross of Calvary. And that love is reciprocated. And when we start reading the Bible and see how they reacted after the resurrection shows a great relationship. Number three, the key, take the master key to your storage room. Get rid of that stuff. Just get rid of it. You say, well, what if I don't want to? You will if you want to live right. You don't want to go through life being bugged by things that you get filled with. Don't be filled with the wrong spirit. Because the wrong spirit can lead you down a primrose path you don't want to go. Just trust the Lord. You say, but you don't know what they did to me. Well, probably not. But God does. And God has a way of working through those things if you allow Him to. He has in my life. And I think I've been there, done that, got a t-shirt. I'll give you a story. I got a letter I tore up several years ago. I wrote it. 
I penned it in my own hand, and it was about three pages long, and uh, it was to a man that I lost respect for because of his stand on some issues, and I cleaned his plow for about three pages. Man, I enjoyed that. Man. And then I got it all written. I read back over it one more time, and then I tore it to pieces. When I saw him, I apologized for the intent of even desiring to write the letter to him. I wrote you one of the most scorching letters. You'll never see it. You want me to tell it to you? Yeah, I still want to get dig in, I guess, at him. But we discussed something, and, and we disagree. We was able to disagree agreeably, if that makes sense. He went on the same page I was on. I went on the same page. We could be friends. I could be friends with the Pope. I mean, I don't agree with his doctrine, but I don't have to be mean at him. I, I have a little concern about a guy wearing a dress all the time. Now, Papa, he's not my Pope. He's not my potentate. He's not my father. But anyhow, be that as it may, you know, a Catholic or a Lutheran or anybody else, you know, if you was in need, they could help you as much as in, some Baptists may be, take longer to help you than a, than a Catholic. So don't always rule everybody out. So I'm going to be friends with nobody. You'll never win a Muslim, neither will I, unless we're friendly to them before they cut your head off. You know, we got that, we got that intent thinking everybody's against us. Most Muslims are looking for the same thing we are. Most Jews are looking for the same thing we are, just going the wrong direction, seeking in the wrong areas. And so you have a storage room, get rid of it, be filled with love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Learn to sing. One of the greatest qualities of overcoming anything in your heart is just singing. I sing because I'm happy, said the songwriter said. Just sing. Nothing wrong with that. You'd be surprised how that drives the devils away, just singing. And going back to Dr. Vigali, he says, would you pray? Because the satanic attack is hitting the whole world. Now, if you're not keeping up with the news, we got hit twice today uh, by shooting one of our planes out of the air and another, another vehicle was destroyed. And that comes, I think, out from Iran going into the various places in the Mideast to keep things stirred up. What are we going to do about it? What's America going to do? You know, especially when our guys are starting getting killed more and more, and they are around the country. I forget how many attacks were made on American bases across the world in recent days. And it's really intensifying in our own towns, our own country. Don't you see the, the, the hatred and the animosity and all this building? Boy, the devil's having a heyday. And getting ready for something big going to happen. And iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold. One of these days we'll realize that Jesus Christ just came and the rapture took place and we're out of here and the real problems start after the rapture. And you think it's bad now watching things happening in the Mideast and I'm not sure what the future holds and how it's all going to play out but I know God's got it completely in His own hand. And number four, number five, number one is the study room, number two is the storage room, number three is your style room, how you dress. Your wardrobe says a lot about you. What you wear means a lot. Be careful what you wear. You know, everybody ought to get up and dress for the Lord. Now, if, if, if the Lord says it's all right, it's all right. My wife, she yesterday, I guess it was yesterday, she come in the, my she come in my study without permission. But she came in my study. She said, "Does this dress look all right?" Now, my answer always is, honey, anything looks good on you. 
She said, no, I'm serious. Does this, does this look all right? Or is it wrong, right color? Is it too low or too high or whatever? And I said, honey, it looks fine to me. I don't know if she agreed with me or not. She probably wouldn't change but something else on. Even though I said, that was the nicest thing. That's a beautiful outfit you got on. But she just wanted my opinion if it was right. How much more should she or anybody else want the opinion of God? There are certain things I don't wear because I'm a Christian. And I represent Christ, so I'm very careful. Uh, the big joke right now around ministers is should they wear a tie or not. I got a sermon on I prefer to wear a tie. But if you don't prefer to wear a tie, you're not my enemy. That's a preference, not a conviction. I'm not going to die for your right. You, if you want to not wear a tie, you don't have to wear a tie. And it, it may not be for you. But I prefer to wear one. I sleep in a tie and a pair of socks. I want to be ready at all times. But you, you know... But some, some guys are making such a big issue out of it. If you don't want to wear a tie, you don't have to wear a tie. If a preacher don't wear a tie, it's his business. I just think we need to try to keep some respect. I don't, let's see if I can say this kindly. Preachers have lost respectability in the country, and I don't want to be dressed with skinny jeans and holes in my pants and holes in my T-shirts as a preacher. I just don't think that looks appropriate. Amen. It lowers down my God. If I was in the presence of the Lord, I'd try to look halfway decent. A lot of our preachers have gone to extreme. You know, they're wearing anything and everything and wearing some slogans on their shirt they ought never to wear. Be careful what you have. It could be suggestive. It could be vulgar. Be careful what you wear. Lord, is this all right? And you work it out with God yourself. You know, be, be careful what you wear. The fathers, you say he don't care. Yes, he did. He did in the book of Genesis. He sort of was concerned what Adam and Eve had on after the sin, right? Did not. They hid themselves in fig leaves and he killed some animals to make them some coats, to make them coats to cover their neckiness. Well, a whole sermon there. But then you pray about it, let God work in your life, show you what needs to be done. Last one, and I'm through. The key to your social room. What do you enjoy for entertainment? What do you enjoy for entertainment? Is it wrong to have inter- is it wrong to watch the Dodgers play the Yankees? Okay, you just wanted to get an amen on that. Nothing wrong with the entertainment that's, that's wholesome. There's some things you have to turn off with entertainment. Now, again, I'll give this illustration. I'm through. Sometimes the halftime shows at football games are unbecoming for a child of God to watch. Would you agree with that? Our good attorney, David Gibbs, has a sermon he preached. He says, we're fellowshipping at somebody's house over a meal, wonderful meal. So all the guys gathered in the living room to watch the football game. And he says, we're all standing there in the living room and everybody sort of enjoying the game, good football game. And he says, all of a sudden, the nudity comes out. And he says, we're standing there, all preachers, all men of God, watching all this nudity. He said, it hit him like a bolt of lightning. He said, whoa, gentlemen, including me, let's turn that off. Because you're being tempted by the devil and the lust of the flesh is terrible. There's some things you need to sort of ease away from and be careful about. I know it's tough. I know the temptations there about a lot of things. Be careful what you watch on television. Be careful what kind of music you listen to. Be careful what entertainment you enjoy. Be careful that it's not unbecoming of a Christian. There's pleasure in sin. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. You can make it sinful. I love to play checkers. Um, Nancy and I, when we go on vacation, we play, what's that game we play? Scrabble. Scrabble, that's, yeah, she's good at it. 
She played play Scrabble. We go on vacation and come back mad. <laughs> if I lose, I come back mad. She usually beats me in Scrabble. That's terrible. So we're not going to play Scrabble this year. We're going to play Monopoly. It takes forever to play that game. But there's something about just having some fun, entertainment. Nothing wrong with that. God wants his children to enjoy life. But be sure you don't have too much entertainment and less spirituality of worshiping God. Be careful your life is not possessed by just entertainment. It will cause you problems down the road. But be careful. and Turn that key over to the Lord. Do you want me to watch it? Well, that's a good question to ask the Lord. He's the unseen guest at every house. He sits in every room. He wants to be at home in every area of your life and my life.